0: The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles.
1: The new year gives us this unique opportunity of, of being able to reflect, right, which is what we do at the end of a year. We look back and we celebrate the things that have happened, and, and it also gives us the opportunity to look forward. And you see this with the, you know, New Year's resolutions or goals or whatever it is. You're, you're, you're projecting. You're looking forward in the future. And, and the same opportunity is afforded to us as a church, and I think it's a really healthy opportunity for us to to. Thank God for all the evidences of grace, and then say, God, we're banking on your future grace, that there's more of that grace to come. And and so uh, we're going to do that, but there's also a little bit of this aspect that it's our third anniversary, that this church has been around for three years now, which is a miracle. Yeah. (laughs) Most churches or most church plants don't make it this far, like, 50% 50% of churches that are planted that get to year three typically are folded. And so we are, I'm just like blown away, first of all, that there's people here. And second of all, that, that like, what is God doing here? And it's crazy. Um, and so I, I want to tell you a little bit about the Sacred City Moline story. And it's going to kind of weave in and out a little bit about, with this passage that Carrie read for us. Um, and I want to share this story because I think it's so important. I think it's so important, one, to remember where we came from. I think it's so important to, to realize that this church didn't just pop up out of nowhere. Um, we have a deep origin story, and God's fingerprints have been all over this. I mean, like even 10 years before this church was even an idea. And so uh, let me just share kind of from my starting point, and, and we'll kind of catch speed into the church. So I, I grew up in the church um, every Sunday, I was there. Like I don't I don't remember a Sunday where we were just like let's not go to church. It's either we're going to go visit somebody else's church or we're going to have house church at our house and it you know, it was usually kind of weird, but we did it anyway. Um, and so church was a huge staple of my life growing up and, and my faith. And, and I wrestled with it. I remember um, sitting in the front pew every Sunday. I, I knew I loved Jesus. I went to the youth events, right? And, and you go to those things, and like as a kid, you, you're like, you hear somebody preach and you get all fiery inside. And it's like I'm not sure if I'm saved. I should probably recommit my life to Jesus. And this happens like six or seven times, and you're like, No, no, no. You don't. You don't need to get re saved. You've already been saved. It's just the Lord's moving in your heart, and you can celebrate that. And so it's like I went through all that experience. And so from birth through high school, church was a central fixture in my life, and I thank my parents for that. Oh man, I'm gonna cry. Guys, stop it. My, my wife was making fun of me yesterday. She, she's like, oh, you're telling a story. You, you better not get too weepy. And now it's like today I'm a pile of tears. I don't know what's going on. She jinxed me. Thanks, Becca. But when I got to college, things sort of shifted. I, I went from having that structure that kind of pointed me in the right direction to, man, I got freedom now. And You know, there was never a Sunday where I got to sleep in, so I was like, I'm going to start to sleep in a little bit. And so I started sleeping in, and then I started meeting people that maybe were not the best influences on me, and I kind of fell into the current of, you know, your typical college um, shenanigans, the parties, doing stuff that was clearly against my upbringing and my faith. And it's like, oh, I got a long leash now. I can try out what I want to. And, And God, like, just in like his own grace, sort of let me veer away. And that sounds weird to say. It's like, but the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, it was like the grace of the father that he let him go and kind of try that life out. And and the same thing happened with me. I I found that I was really lonely. Like the friends that I had were shallow. They just wanted one thing. I, I found that I was tired. I found that like things just didn't satisfy, like flavors were bland and light was dim and so i i got my associate's degree and i transferred to the university of northern iowa and i was thinking in my mind and this is a time for a fresh start i get a, i get to um you know start anew and i thought that was going to be the case but it, what happened was i had a buddy who actually transferred with me and he got me sucked into the same stuff that i was doing and and like, I just started getting, I was just dissatisfied. I was like, this is not living. This is not the way God made me to live. And and something crazy happened where God started pursuing me, and I've got a younger brother, two years younger than me, so I'm, I'm a junior at UNI. He's a freshman at Iowa State, and whenever we come home, we swap music, and he had been listening to a lot of new Christian music that I hadn't been exposed to, and he gave me this album by Phil Wickham that's full of hymns, um, and he put it on my i, I- what do you call it? I don't even know. iPod is that still a thing? They put on my iPod. Um, and, you know, and I, I like. I didn't really listen to it. I wasn't into it. But one day I was walking across campus late at night, and you know. Like, I don't know how my iPod was on shuffle. That doesn't happen. I like to listen to albums all the way through. And so somehow I was on shuffle, and this song popped up. And I remember walking across campus, like, I don't know, probably 1130 at night, and hearing this hymn that we sing often here, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I remember the words just hit me in the chest. And the lyric was, um, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, and seal it. Seal it from my courts above. And I just felt that boom, all right in my chest. And I was like, something has to change. I, I need to go back to church. I need to start reading my Bible. I need to find a community. And so I did. And this is where God really showed up in my life and started changing a lot of things. I got involved with the campus ministry uh, for probably a couple months. I would, it it was like a worship service, and they had some small groups that spin off of it. But for a couple months, I would come in late and leave early, trying to avoid people. I was sort of a loner with this thing. I didn't know. I didn't want to jump in with both feet yet, but I I would go. And and then eventually, I kind of got fed into a local church, and I got involved there in this sense. And, and, I started hearing about um, a spring break mission trip that I I was like, okay, I don't know anybody in this ministry. I don't really have any friends yet, um, but I feel like this is something that I need to jump into and do. And so I did it, I signed up for it. Um, And and in that time, God provided all kinds of relationships that turned into some of the most influential relationships and and even lifelong relationships to this day of, of men and ladies that were just, So helpful in my walk and for the first time I really experienced Christian community and the loneliness and the frustration that I was experiencing like all of that sort of to peel away as I was going deeper and deeper into community and as he gave me a deep hunger for him. Now, this was strange to me because in this hunger for him, it wasn't just like, oh, I want to go to every worship service, which for a while I did, and it's like right in the worship high. And, but what happened was that I just started reading, and up to that point, I didn't read. I hated reading. And it was so weird, like books that I could get my hands on about Jesus. I'd start reading, and I'd gobble them up, and and podcasts were starting to be a thing then. And so I'd be listening to these preachers, and they preach a little bit different, actually very different than what I heard growing up, because I was pretty sure my pastor from my hometown was like from a different planet. I didn't understand a lot of what he said and, and the other pastor that I was sitting on the preaching, it just felt kind of shallow but these guys that were I was listening to were doing deep exegetical dives into scripture in a way that was like unpacking the word of God in a way that I don't ever remember hearing. Maybe I did uh, before but you know it was like new to me and they were unpacking the word of God not just in like some sort of scholarly let me tell you what this text means but in a way that like brought real heart change, in a way that made the text come alive and and my life changed. And and it was unlike anything that I heard and I figured out or I learned that a lot of these guys that were preaching like this were Acts 29 guys. And I'll tell you a little bit about Acts 29 a little bit on. But my my world had been opened up. I was learning tons. I was growing faster than I had ever grown before in my life. And, And it was crazy. And it's like these people, plus reading scripture, plus getting into other books and hearing other preachers. It was just like an incredible time of growth for me. Now at this time, I started sensing a call into the ministry. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I I was a music major, studied jazz and classical trombone, which doesn't have a lot of life transfers if you want to (laughs) go down that route. I mean, you could always end up as a pastor if the Lord calls you. Um, But I thought it would be a Uh, uh, like a a music ministry scenario, and about that time, I was like applying for jobs. My school was coming to an end, and and I realized that I was kind of a misfit. Um, I realized theologically that I didn't fit in with a lot of the churches that I was going to and applying. like My theology was becoming reformed, Um, My ecclesiology, my idea of what the church should be like, because I was kind of used to people showing up and having community, but this idea that I saw in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2 of of the church being a, a family that's on mission. Um, I hadn't experienced anything like that. And so I was having these shifting convictions where I just didn't really fit in. And, and really what I was looking for was a church that looked a lot like Acts chapter 242 for, through 47, which Carrie Reed were devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and the prayers. And they were meeting together at the synagogue, which is them on mission. And, and, and they were committed to one another and giving as anyone had. And this, so it's like, that's kind of like my idea, a family of missionaries. And in the process of looking for these worship leader jobs, which actually you're, I think you're supposed to be a good singer if you're gonna lead worship, and I really wasn't a great singer. Um, So it was maybe the Lord leading me and and prompting me through my friend Alec to say, hey, you know what? Um, Come to the Quad Cities. My youth pastor or my old youth pastor, he's planting a church that I think you'd want to be part of, like this whole Acts 2 stuff that you want, it's going to feel a lot like that, and I was like, okay, well, that sounds interesting, and, and so he and said, so, oh, by the way, it's an Acts 29 church, and so Acts 29 is this network of churches, now it's a global, it's a diverse global network of churches that are committed to this one vision, a singular vision of planting churches. And so it was this idea of like, okay, well, I see church planting going on through the New Testament, and I see the, the core theological convictions of Acts 29, and what it looks like. It's like, I, I want to be part of this. And so I did. I stepped out in faith. I, at the time, I was engaged to my wife now, Becca, uh, and I left her for a year to finish her school at U and I and I moved to the Quad Cities. And in that time, that even that one year, God just like started opening up my Life, my spiritual life, even more. And uh, this led to me um, going to Quad Cities and and crossing paths with Pastor Justin, who's the founding pastor of Sacred City Davenport. and, and his story, like, it's crazy because as I am going through my stuff through college, he's 250 miles away, kind of wrestling with the same questions in Omaha while he is doing a church planting residency uh, with what's now Coram Deo Church. And, and, and so um, I cross paths with him, and the story of Secrecy of Davenport, it's incredible. I don't have time to tell it, um, but, but really what happened there, God set the stage for me to step in and kind of pursue the ministry calling that I was feeling. And so one time, uh, Pastor Justin was preaching a sermon on church planting, um, and and he said, listen, if there's any guys out there who are interested, why don't you reach out to me? I want you to give me a phone call. I want you to shoot me a message, um, and I want to talk with you. And so I, I was like, well, I feel like that. And so I shot him an email. And so we started talking, and he's like, all right, listen, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to create a, a pastoral residency for you to, first of all, test your calling as a pastor, because it's one thing to be a pastor, it's another thing to be a church planter and a pastor. And says, so I want to test that calling, it's okay, so... did a year through that, and you know, I don't know how much I grew through, I think I probably grew a lot, but it was just one of those experiences where it was so much hands-on stuff, and so much was coming at me, and then after that, it was like, yeah, I think I'm called to the ministry, and so it's like, I'd like to bring you into a second year of doing a church planting ministry, and sort of test your entrepreneurial aptitude, and see like, can you start something, can you keep something going, can you cast a vision, and and get people behind it, and so we started working through some of that stuff, and and I got done with it, and It's like, I feel, you know, I'm no rock star, but I feel like God has given me some of the gifts that are necessary to plant a church, and so we start talking, and about the same time, um, Sacrecy Davenport is um, growing to the point where, like, we're having to make a decision here. Are we going to find a bigger building to meet in, Two, are we going to go to two services, which now is kind of ironic because next week, Sacred City Davenport is going to two services. Uh, Or three, are we gonna put our money where our mouth is and plant a church? And because our whole mission at Sacred City Church is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. And we've been committed to church planting in various ways, and I'll show you here in a little bit. Um, and, and so we decided to move forward with this church plan. So I was already in the, in the Acts 29 assessment process, which is one of the best things that Acts 29 does for church planters is take them through an assessment and say, hey, and really check in for three things, character, competence, compatibility. Like, are you a man of God? Are you capable uh, of preaching, and leading, and doing what you need to do? And then are you compatible with your city? Like, do you fit in? Do you, have, do you share the same ideals, and, and kind of know the flow of the city? And so we went through this process, and I felt pretty good about it. It was like a, a back-to-back, eight-hour day sort of assessment. It was long and grueling, and my wife was with me. And, and so we got questioned, and we had dinner, and the assessors would come back. And it was just like, it was crazy. Um, and I was feeling pretty good about it. I thought, you know, I was a young buck. I got a lot of stuff figured out, it felt like, after the last two years of my residencies and um, a lot of experience. And, and, uh, and so I was really hoping that we kind of get passed through and this church plant would get on its way. And, um, but my actual assessment didn't pan out as I initially hoped. Um, they actually told me to kind of pump the brakes. I was really like, I was crushed by this. I was feeling like a failure because I was like, I'm the guy. Like they, These guys here locally have like, looked at me and given me the nod to be the guy to go plant this church in Moline, but I, I, here I'm getting told I got the red light, but here's what happened. In the following six months, God brought heartache and repentance, and if you know anything about heartache and repentance, it typically leads to maturity, and that's what God brought about in my life, And and it was just... Uh, I got reassessed. I was given the green light. Sacred City Davenport set me and my wife with about forty adults and ten kids to go plant a new church in Moline, Illinois. And so, you know, I say that, and some people say, like, why plant a church? Like, why not let the church get bigger or go to two services? Which you know, th- th- those are two good options. But when you read the Bible, like when you read the New Testament specifically, Acts. Through the epistles, even into Revelation. Like, it's all about church planting. And it's showing us that God's primary plan for church growth and reaching the lost is church planting. And really what happens, it all starts here in Acts chapter 2, verses 22. Now it's a day of Pentecost. If you know anything about Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples. They got this flame. They're talking. They're speaking in tongues. People think they're drunk because it's early in the morning. And so like there's a lot of commotion going on. And, and, and the apostle. Peter um, realizes what's going on, and he's—I got to stand up and say something. So here he is, about to preach out a, light, a lights-out sermon. Now, let me tell you, every week I get nervous about uploading whatever podcast I put out uh, to the interwebs because you know you go—it's on the interwebs. You never know who's going to find it. You never know it's going to be there for probably eternity, um, at least till Jesus comes back. Anybody can critique it. Maybe it's a bad sermon. And so I get a little bit of uh, nerves going on. And, the, and then I hear I, uh, Peter here, he's got his first sermon, by the way, first sermon uh, cemented in the scriptures that every generation would hear what Peter per- preached on his first sermon. That blows my mind. And so what I wanna do here is just run you through real quick what's going on in this passage because there's just so much good stuff happening. You know, in verse 22 through 26, he stands up, he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. So he's saying like, you've seen this Jesus guy, you've seen what he's done. He says, this Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So this wasn't a mistake. You, and he's looking people straight in the face. He's looking at these, these Jewish men in the face and saying, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by. It. Now, now it gets into some of this prophecy stuff that, that King David said. And, and he says, you know, what David is saying here, actually, about that he will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption wasn't actually about King David because he later says, you know, King David's still in the tomb and he's rotten away. But Jesus is the one that he was talking about, that he was killed and he was placed in a tomb and three days later he got up. That there was no corruption to his flesh, that he was not abandoned to Hades. And, and then he goes on to say, Brothers, I say to you with confidence that David both died and he's buried. In his tomb's with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, this King David, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not, that Jesus was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God, or excuse me, this Jesus God raised up, and of that, we all are witnesses. He's like, we've all seen it. You saw it, I saw it. My homies here, my apostles, my disciples, they've seen it. They've seen Jesus, and they're a witness of it, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's speaking about the whole tongues and all this stuff and the flames. And, For David did not ascend in the heavens, but he said to himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then he says, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, what Peter is doing here, he's laying out the historical facts. He's telling them, like, guys, this all happened, like, you know, a couple months ago, because they're 40 days, you know, departed from the whole thing because it's Pentecost. But um, he's like, You saw this happen. You saw the resurrected Jesus. You saw what he had done in his ministry. You saw that God raised him up. And so he's presenting the historical facts. But listen, and these are like the truths of the gospel. These are undeniable. This is fact, this is historical. And some of us can hear this and be like, oh yeah, whatever, and sort of rolls off our backs. But listen, when the Holy Spirit takes these words and makes them alive... When the Holy Spirit takes them and and breathes life into them, and, and, and people can, their ears are unstopped and they hear the reality of what just happened, there is a personal response that follows the historical presentation. There's an effectual response where deep in my heart, something changes. And you see this as we move into verse 37. Now, when they heard this, and he's talking about the men of Israel, they were cut to the heart oh, right, because he's kind of pointing the finger, like, you're responsible for this. Like, you're not sinless in these things that have transpired. And they were cut to the heart, and listen, this is beautiful, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Like, we're in a real predicament here. We're in a real conundrum. What should we do? If we're guilty of this, what do we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. You know what repentance is? Repentance is a turning from the direction you were going into the correct path. It's like my turn from in college from doing the stuff that I shouldn't be doing and, and turning and moving back toward God. That's a picture of repentance. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. There's the answer to the problem that you're experiencing, that that conflict, that inner turmoil, you can be forgiven, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for this promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Okay, so this isn't something that you can just go and claim, this is something that the Lord has to call you toward. And with many other words, Peter bore witness. Now, that's like preacher talk. He's just talking a long time. And he's saying stuff, and it's probably really good stuff, but it doesn't make the cut for this whole thing. It's edited. Uh, uh, And so he's bearing witness. He's exhorting them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, right? Those who received the gospel, this good news of salvation, were baptized and they're, this is crazy. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a revival. <laughs> now, you think about it, like people hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel. And then it's like, guess what? The gospel changes your life. The gospel doesn't leave you where you were when you came to Jesus. Jesus loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to move you deeper and deeper into union with him. And here's what it looks like. Here's what the Christian life looks like. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They loved the word of God. They loved each other. And the breaking of bread, right? The the Lord's Supper. Not just the Lord's Supper as Jesus commanded, but but of actually sharing meals together. And the prayers. They they prayed together. And awe came upon every soul. So, like, this isn't just like a one pop-off thing where it's like, oh, this really cool thing happened to me today. And I'm just going to roll with it. It's like no, like there's this continual sense of awe of being with Jesus and with his people. And awe fell upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They shared their life. Not not just the physical things, but they shared their hearts. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they cared about the poor. And day by day, attending to the temple. Could, now think, the temple is Jewish territory, right? And, and, and so as Christians going into the temple, they're not going there to worship necessarily. They're going there on mission. They're going to, there to tell people what the whole Old Testament was pointing toward, and that was Jesus. And so they're going to the temple on mission together, and they're breaking bread in their homes, and they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, oh, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And you see a lot here. You see how the gospel changes a life. It puts you in a community, gives you a mission, makes you generous, makes you prayerful, all kinds of stuff. And these are just regular, ordinary. Like this isn't like the varsity team Christians, right? This isn't like the 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 SWAT team coming in. Like this is like. Ordinary people who had a profound experience with the gospel. And it leads to an ordinary life that's reorganized around Jesus and his people. Now, what just happened here? Like, if you step back, what just happened here? Peter essentially planted a church. And this is really what church planting is. Church planting is planting the seed of the gospel in the soil of the culture and trusting the sovereignty of God to bring about a thriving church. And look, with thousands of people, and, and they're probably gonna go different directions. They're probably gonna go back to their homes. And, and what, what's gonna happen there? Like, they're gonna take that message with them. And they're going to share that message. And by the grace of God, that gospel message will be planted into a new culture, a new soil, and by his sovereignty will bring about many more churches, which is actually what happens if you read through the book of Acts. They're planting churches. Church planting is God's number one way for the gospel to reach the lost, the unchurched, the dechurched. And Peter, here's just the pattern of it it's pretty simple. Peter preached the gospel the holy spirit moved like something that i can't i can't force salvation as a preacher but the holy spirit can the spirit can pull us toward god and those who were pulled toward god those who were called responded with repentance and faith and then they started living this new life that's the pattern Now this is why we wanted to plant a church and not just build a bigger church. We wanted to plant the seed of the gospel in the city of Moline and see God in his sovereignty go to work and pray that he would bring about a vital church. And so in January of 2017, we launched our public gathering at Youth Hope, just down 12th Avenue here, and, and, and with help from Sacred City Davenport, we were able to purchase this building in October, which is crazy that a church that's 10 months old would be able to purchase a building like this, and, and what was exciting was not just the building, but the fact that God had given us a permanent spot in the heart of Moline for ministry as a place to serve as a ministry headquarters and to gather on Sunday mornings together. Very exciting. And while the gathering is a very important part of Sacred City Church, missional communities are actually the lifeblood of what we're doing here, right? Where you're going to experience Acts 2, 42 through 47 is in the context of missional community where people are living together and sharing their lives and praying together and breaking bread together. And so that's why we modeled our church, not off of, like, the, the whatever was kind of hip and cool at the moment, right? We don't got any f- f- fog machines blowing. Like, we don't have the best sound machine. We don't have cool, uh, like, I don't know. I mean, like, we could do better if we wanted to. But, <laughs> but we didn't do that. Like, we said, what, what's the key convictions here? It's gospel community mission. Like, we, we gather together as a church on Sundays. We share life together as missional communities, and we go out as family that are sent out on mission. Like, that, that was our whole DNA, that is our DNA, gospel community mission. And it's in this context of missional community that, that these deep relationships develop that, that not only, like, are just enjoyable, like, there, there should be people in your missional community that are like, I really love these people. And there's gonna be some that you're like, it takes every ounce of the Holy Spirit and my sanctification to love this person. Like, that's the reality. If you're not in a community, that's the reality of it. But that's what it looks like to live life together, to share life. Because what's the one thing that brings us together? It's the gospel. And it's a place where we get to grow in our faith. And we get to go deeper and deeper into the gospel. And here's the thing. Not only that is, it's like this type of community is attractive to outsider people. Like people who aren't yet Christians. And they kind of like, what do you mean you get together on Wednesdays? and you eat together, and you like these people, like, you got a standing appointment, with, you know, it's like, there's something about it that's like, oh, and you, you paid to put an engine in somebody's car, and like you, you're bringing them a meal, they just had a baby. There's something about that type of community that's like, wow, I want to be part of that, even for a not-yet-believer. And so it's a place where outsiders can come in and become part of the family, that's what a missional community is. It's like an ever-expanding family. And really, that's what our prayer is. That, that, and that's why we value multiplication. It's because multiplication shows that things are healthy, that people are coming in, and they get to hear the gospel, and they see life, and, and we get to send them out. Man, it's such a cool thing. And listen, God blessed us in the first year, and, and, and um, just following the simple pattern that we see in Acts chapter 2. And in the first year, this church went from 50 people to 100 people, which is crazy, Um, We bought a building, we baptized five people, very exciting times, and God continued to bless us and grow us since that time, little by little. We haven't experienced the same sort of explosive growth in the first year, but God has been growing us, he's been laying a foundation, a framework, people's hearts have been changed, there's people you can look at, people I can identify right now in the crowd, and say that person's not the same person they were two years ago, I'm going to cry, but it's true, it's true because Jesus is at work. And now we're celebrating our third anniversary, which is crazy, and we have so much to celebrate. And I know this is kind of a long sermon, uh, but I don't, I don't care. Um, I want to I take you back uh, and take a look at see what God has done in Sacred City in the last year. So I've got like 20 slides that I'm going to just blaze through. I'm not joking. <laughs> Some of them have three words on it. But here's, what, here's where we're going to go. Look at this. Um, uh, you want to throw up the, 20, 2019, 2020 vision? There it is. Um, here we are. So we're doing our year interview. 2020 vision's coming up. Um, let, me, let me talk you through the Sunday gathering. Um, our attendance, on average, in 2018 was 90.2 people. This year, we lost, like lost half a person. We haven't found them yet. Um, but, but there has been this consistency that God has given us, even in, in some of the hardest years that I've experienced, where God has just kind of held us. There's been a lot of faithful people in this room, and I pray that God would multiply that moving into the new year. Um, on average, we have about 18 and a half kids. Again, half a kid, not sure how we get that. Um, sermons preached we've gone through several different series Revelation the series on Money Matters A Church for the City Proverbs the Apostles Creed the Book of Ruth and Advent and Christmas Eve um, there have been 52 sermons preached plus one video sermon when I was out a couple weeks ago Matt Chandler just happened to show up um, that amounts to approximately twenty three hundred sixty minutes of sermon time, and I would probably boost that a little bit because um, I've been trimming back my sermons lately, except for this one. Um, and here's uh, this is a rough guesstimate that there's been about forty six references to the Oakland Raiders this year. <laughs> um, we've sung at least two hundred and seventy songs together. We've heard fifty five different liturgies. There's been probably seventy three microphone pops as a liturgy reader. <laughs> Adjust it. Um, We have, listen, we have stood in the pews to hear 26 chapters of the Bible read in their entirety. I don't know of any, yeah. That's crazy. And uh, there's been about 52 times where a worship leader gets choked up. And it's, it's funny because I was kind of poking fun at Trent and Tim earlier, and then I'm the one up here who can't keep my life together, so... Um, we got to celebrate three baptisms this year, two adult baptisms, one infant baptism. Uh, we got to celebrate with uh, parents and their children, uh, four parent-child dedications. Um, volunteers, there are no, like, okay, think of this. There are, what did I say, 80-something people, 89 people here uh, in attendance, and this factoring guests and, and whatever, but but there are 72 people serving, 72 Different people serving in this church. Crazy. And, and on a Sunday, or I guess on one Sunday, the Sundays throughout the year that amounts to 3,000 volunteer hours, and guess what? We still need more volunteers, so... Uh, let's get after that in the kids ministry we've been able to expand in classrooms we have 34 of those volunteers um, who are serving in kids we've taught 104 lessons Um, there's been a lot of laughs even more love uh, and we have plowed through eight boxes of animal crackers Uh, let's talk about missional communities Uh, Missional communities, we started with three, like I said, back in 2017. We currently have five missional communities. There are 67 people who are consistently in missional communities, 17 leaders, and we have shared over 232 meals between all of our missional communities, probably more. I would gauge probably like 300, but you know. Um, We are on mission to, as missional communities, like we're not just the people who huddle up together, but we say, hey, we got a people and a place in our city that we want to bless and to serve. And so uh, through these the missional communities, we see people on mission to the Rock Island Booster Club, specifically Washington Junior High. Um, Youth Hope, uh, that's Logan Elementary School, and their, what is it, what's it, the food? Um, the Nutrition Club, um, Willard Elementary School, the elementary school just down the street here, um, and Mer- Meridian Senior Living, which is in Alito. Um, now, I want to talk about this church planting. This is really exciting, because even as a church plant ourselves, we are committed to um, Funding church plants, Um, $1,500 is actually a little bit more than this because I'm running off of November's numbers. $1,500 $1,500 uh, has been going to the Acts 29 General Fund to help staff and to train upcoming leaders specifically in unreached places. Uh, we have supported Fishers of Men, which is a ministry based in Kenya, um, where they're developing church planters. We've given them $4,500 this year, and Mercy's Door Church in Mascuda, Illinois, which is in the St. Louis area, we have given them $6,000 uh, this year. Um, part of That. So Mercy's Door Church is part of the Acts 29 network. Um, The next slide is with Acts 29. And here, uh, you can't really see these guys, but this is just the Midwest branch of Acts 29. um, And there's some guys not pictured there. Um, It's a really cool mural, by the way. Uh, and, And so those are some of the people that we are most connected to as we link arms to plant churches that plant churches. And then if you go to the next slide, uh, these are the guys that we spend the most, or I personally spend the most time with. I meet with them on a monthly basis um, and pray for them. Sacred Mission Church that just launched this year um, in Collins, Iowa, Harvest City Church in Iowa City, Frontier Church, who's a, actually one of my buddies who plays a significant role in my college experience, Cole uh is in Uh, Des Moines, Iowa, leading Frontier Church up in Dubuque. There's River City Church that's led by Aaron Morrow. Um, And then, of course, Sacred City Church with Pastor Justin Dean. Um, Now, bringing it home with some random facts. Ready for this? This past year, we've had one baby born. We've made 270 gallons of coffee. There have been 24 connect cards filled out where people have been connected to this church. We've eaten 1,200 donut holes together, so congrats on that. Maybe uh, add that to your New Year's resolution thing. Um, there are actually two ministries that are officing here because like, we've got a lot of space. And so Young Life and Safe Families are both officing in some of our rooms. Um, and we have consumed, or my children have stolen, Four thousand eight hundred and sixty mints, um, which is quite a feat financially um, total giving of this year again, this is a loose estimate here um, as not all of the December numbers are in where we, we brought in. $169,000, which is incredible. Um, there are 30 unique recurring givers, and there's also added bonus um, givers who have kind of give, given sporadically through the year. And at this point, our church is 92% self sustaining, and by God's grace, we'll reach the, the 100% mark here in 2020. I almost said 19. Um, this is a slide that I'm most excited about. It's Porterbrook, and I actually uh, made a mistake on this. But in, in 2018, we had zero people from Moline enrolled in Porter Book, which was a huge bummer. I was, like, I was like, this is one of the things that I feel like we dropped the ball on. In 2019 and 20, um, our enrollment of just Moline people, and there's like a crazy amount more people. In year one, there are 10 people enrolled. Year two, there are three. And so if you look at that year over year, that is a enrollment increase, which is very exciting because that means we have upcoming leaders and people who are giving themselves to the training and learning more about gospel-centered ministry. Uh, Building upkeep, we have raised $25,000 in a capital campaign for projects. Um, We had two work days, lots of sweat. Um, The projects we tackled, we did some roof repairs, fixed the lobby climate control uh, painted the main level, did a little bit of landscaping, and there are a few other things here and there that I probably forgot of. And the last one is just event hosting. We, like Because we have the space, we got to host some great events. We got to host the Healthy, Com- Healthy, Healthy Soul Conference, I think that's back in March. Merge was not too long ago, a ladies' conference, and we've ha- hosted four Porterbrook events. Um, conferences since then. We hosted one wedding this year, um, and then we had one missional movie night downstairs, which was a good turnout. So this year has been full of of really good things, and I I praise God, yeah. I praise God for that. Um, And while there's a lot to celebrate, it it has been a difficult year. A lot of church planners say year three of church plant is the hardest year Year. And maybe that's because we're three years into the hardest thing we've ever done. Uh, we're fatigued. Maybe it's because the, the, the toll that ministry takes, like, relationally and emotionally, that there's unmet hopes and expectations. Um, or, or there's the reality that I, I feel that we're always facing this illusion that we've arrived. Like, just because we have a building and things seem pretty stable, that we've arrived as a church, we can kick up and relax um, which isn't the case at all. It's like, And there's the reality that it's like the weightiness of the mission. Like it's not, a, it's not an easy mission. God didn't call us to something easy. Um, there's been the lack of numerical growth that's just like, oh, man, I thought we were going to grow this season. Um, and fighting of apathy toward reaching the lost. And personally, it's like I just got so much on my plate. And I know I should ask for help, but I don't. And I end up killing myself. Um, and so it's just like it's one of those years where, man, it was hard but the reality is that church planting is hard work. It's not for the feeble, it's not for the idealist, um, But it is what we are called to, as we carry off, carry out the mission that God kicked off in Acts chapter two, actually way way before that. But where we see church planting, really take the, the spotlight here, and it's the same pattern: Preach the gospel. Trust the spirit to awaken people's hearts. Tr- a- ask for repentance that people would respond to the gospel and that people would live a changed life now this is why even in this year where it's been very hard and challenging and sometimes just discouraging galatians 6 9 has been such an encouragement to me it says this let us not grow weary of doing good i'll read it again let us not grow weary of doing good And this is the promise. For in due season, we will reap. Oh, so good. For in due season. I don't know when that season is. You don't. God does. In that due season, we will reap. And here's the the, the contingency. If we will not give up. What a promise. And so this is why I look forward to 2020 with such excitement. And I'm bringing it home here and, and, and with such hope and anticipation because I believe the best is yet to come. I believe there are new horizons for this church. I believe there are new hills to conquer, bigger goals to set our eyes on and give ourselves to, which brings me to the New Year vision. No, Sacred City's vision is always the same. Make disciples, plan churches, renew the city. Every year we take a, a little bit of a, a new angle to focus on how are we gonna accomplish this or, or what's gonna drive us toward that mission uh, and that vision. And, and so we get a chance to refocus. This year, um, my prayer, my vision for Sacred City Moline is that we would double by discipleship. That we as a church would double by discipleship. Now, I'm not just saying like we put out signs and we start hosting a bunch of free things and doing crazy stuff where people just start showing up. I don't, that's not the type of growth I want, though, if that's the Lord calling people, cool. I want to double by discipleship, meaning that the people that we have connections with, like we're bringing them in. We're bringing them into missional community. We're bringing them into the gathering. We're bringing them into our own lives and sharing lives with them so we can share Jesus with them. And, and I know that seems like such an impossible task, but, but I'm going to tell you why it is possible in a minute, but I'm, I'm going to talk through the implications. First of all, obvious implications are the church growth, and it's not just for the sake of church growth. It's so that we can reach more people in the city with the gospel. There are 44,000 people in Moline. Statistically, two-thirds of those people don't know Jesus or are not actively being discipled or are not concerned with him. That should break your heart. Like we should be like Jesus who looked at Jerusalem and wept over his city. There are people out there who need Jesus, and some of them are your closest friends. And I pray by the grace of God that we would see them saved from this corrupt generation and that they would get to live an abundant life with Jesus. Now, what this means is that we have to own our identity as a church plant. Like, the missional switch needs to be on all the time because the reality is it's your identity. And it is off your sinning against God because he has called you to be his servant and to be his light and to be a missionary. So it means that we step into this identity of church plants, and, and we're hungry to see people come to know Jesus. Two, it means that there, there's no sidelines in this church. If you want to stand on the sidelines, there, there are plenty of other churches in the city that you can go stand on the sidelines. But, but here, if we're going to double by discipleship, this means that each one has to teach one. It means that every Christian is stepping into this mission, and we have to be disciple makers. And it, it might range for people depending on your life stage and where you're at and what that, the intensity of that is like. But, but whatever capacity Jesus gives you, you use your influence to bring people and the people you love closer to Jesus. It means that you're on mission all the time. You're a discipler all the time. It means that you're reaching out to the unchurched, to the dechurched, and to those who are far away from God. And so here's what it means. It means that you need to identify that person. And I would like, low-hanging fruit is great. Like people who are interested in church or want to have these spiritual discussions, those are people that you should be pursuing. And you pray for them. And you're intentional with them. You open up your homes to them. You share your life with them. You bring them into your missional community. You invite them to church. You invite them to third spaces where church people are hanging out. And do what you can to get these people in front of Jesus. That might mean you share your story with them. Like how God saved you. What God's done in your life. And remember like discipleship begins before conversion. Like, we're always showing people, by the way that we live our life, how Jesus lived, if we're serious about it. And so that means no sidelines. Three, it means that, like, from a real pragmatic standpoint, we need to double our leadership. Like, we need to have, have the infrastructure to support Twice as many people that are here right now. Twice as many people that are in our missional communities. And so what that means is like Porterbrook students, people who are gifted and have a desire to lead, that you step up in whatever way you can right now. You step up as a leader. If not like an official leader, you lead by example. It's doing what we need to do to equip and develop leaders. And for me this year, this is going to be a big focus. Like, we have to have leaders in order for this church to grow. Now, this might seem overwhelming. This might seem impossible, except there are passages like Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Let me read it. Except for I'm on the wrong page. Actually, no, I wasn't. For this reason, this is the Apostle Paul, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, if we're serious about doubling by discipleship, there are three things that we need to be committed to. Three core commitments. This is going to go fast. First of all, we need to be radically committed to being a praying people. You see that in verse 20 right at the beginning. He says, Now, to him that is speaking of God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Now, what that tells me is doubling by discipleship is a small prayer. Because if I can think it, if I can ask it, God can exceed it. And that means we need to pray big prayers. And that big prayer might be for your neighbor, your coworker, that person that you are on mission to. That might be just for the church in general. Pray that God would stir our hearts with affection and give us a zeal for his mission. See, without prayer, we step on God's toes. We we try to do God's will our own way. But with prayer, God can make big things happen. And expresses our desire to be in line with His will and to be dependent upon him to carry out the mission. Now listen, I, I'm, Jesus says he says, "You don't have because you don't ask." Like, let's not be a church that misses out because we're not asking. And I personally will not stop filling God's ears with that prayer of due season arrived. And we get that bountiful harvest that we're hungry for. I'm hungry for that. I hope this church is hungry for that too. It means that we must be supernaturally empowered. See, this task is so large that we can't do it ourselves, that we have to be spirit-filled people. And if you keep going in verse 20, you see that. He says that God, who can do anything more abundantly than we ask or to think, and according to the power at work within us. Now he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. You see this back in verse 17, that the spirit of Christ who dwells in your heart through faith, that, that the real, we can't do this ourselves, we need Jesus, and he 's empowering us to do it, and He gives us the strength and the power and the wisdom and the words and the zeal and the knowledge to do what he 's called us to do. And three, it means that we must be deeply rooted in the love of Jesus. That, that's paul 's main concern here in this prayer. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And this is the kicker, people. I don't know if you get this, but that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. That you would be so filled with the love of God that it just oozes out of you. Now, the only way that we can do this mission, the only way we can step into this, the only way we can give ourselves to doubling by discipleships is if you understand the love of God in this way, or are increasing in your knowledge of it. We can't, like, if you haven't tasted the love of God, none of this will make sense. It'll feel like an impossible fool's errand, but if you have experienced this love, this love compels us, and listen, anybody can get in on this. Anybody can taste this love. You don't have to make yourself right. You don't have to get your life together. Jesus loves you right where you are this very minute, and he loves you so much that he wants to move you forward. that He wants to change your heart. See, I pray that the love of Christ would compel us into this. This isn't just a a task. This isn't just an idea that I had. Like, this is something joyful that we get to step into. Now make no mistake here, I'm closing for real. The vision, see this is what Paul was talking about with other words, he extorted them, so that's what this whole thing's been about. Make no mistake, the vision to double by discipleship is not about making sacred city famous. I don't care, like we can strip the name. What this is about is God's eternal glory expanding on earth and in the Quad Cities. And just as how Paul ends the prayer, to him be the glory in the church, in this church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Listen, I have a heart to see this church. Like, when we see this church, First Christian Church had made it 10 generations, or well, 10 decades, gosh, 100 years, let's say that. All right. Figure out the generations. I pray that God would allow us to double, triple, quadruple what's happened already here. That this church would be for the glory of God and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, we are part of something big, something that's much bigger than just showing up on Sunday and doing our thing. We're connected to Sacred City, Davenport, which God is like blessing their socks off. You would not believe the kind of growth God has brought there. We get to link arms with them. We get to link arms with our brothers and sisters in the Acts 29 church planting network. But even bigger than those two things, we are part of God's story. That God is trying to reach the lost. And we get to be part of that. And we get to see like revelation like what I was telling about church planting, like revelation is like the ultimate like motivation for church planting to see the whole creation renewed, the whole earth restored, that the glory of God would fill it as the, the waters fill the seas. Now, I want to see the gospel blow up in Moline and Rock Island. I want to see it blow up in the surrounding areas. I want to see more disciples made. I want to see more baptisms. I want to see more mission communities. I want to see more leaders developed. I want to see our city renewed. I want to see more stories being told about what God has done in people's lives. And listen, I hope you're hungry for that too. Are you ready to play your part? Are you ready to step into this? And are you ready to experience a blessing like you can never experience? See, as we're rooted in God's love, as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and as we pray big, nothing is impossible. And may the Lord be gracious to us in 2020. And may he, by his faithfulness, and his mercy, allow us to have everything we need to be faithful to the call and allow us to double by discipleship. Let's pray. Father, man, what a year we've had in 2019. 2020, I'm just like fired up about it. I'm sweating right now. So excited. And I just can't wait. I can't wait to see what you do. I can't wait to see how you exceed our prayers. God, help us to, to pray big. Help us to, to draw upon the Holy Spirit for everything that you've called us to do. Help us, Father, to know how deeply you care for us, how deep your love is for us. And I pray, Father, that this church would glorify you not just in this generation, but the next, not just for the next, but forever and ever. God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.